south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 254, covering the week of March 22nd through March 26, 2021. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and subscribe to our YouTube page. You can find all those social media accounts at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. That's A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. While you're there, give us an email address. We'll give you a free ebook exploring the Southern tradition by 20 Abbeville Institute scholars. If you want to buy a hard copy of that book, by the way, you can search for it on Amazon.com. We've got it there. But we do have it available for free, free of charge, if you just give us that email address. You'll get our Daily Dose of Dixie Monday through Friday. It's our way of keeping in touch with you and letting you know what we're doing at the Institute. We also remind you of our conferences and other things through that email address. So it's our communication tool with you. And it's the most valuable thing we have, communication. So if you like us, go ahead and give us that email address. Also, if you like what we do, if you like our podcasts, our conferences, our videos, all the stuff, we're going to talk about videos this week, you can go to abbevilleinstitute.org, click on that support tab. You can donate monthly, annually, or a one-time gift. If you are an international donor, we've got it fixed now, so you can donate through the website if you are donating internationally. So that's a great way to do it as well. You help keep all these things going. It is tax deductible to the full extent of law if you're in the United States, of course, because we are a 501c3 organization. You can also support the Institute by clicking on that Shop tab while you're there. Under that Support tab, click on Shop. You can get your Abbeville Institute apparel, great high-quality embroidered stuff. So if you want to show that you support the Institute and Get a conversation started. The left likes to use that term conversation. Let's have a conversation about this. Let's have a conversation about the Institute by showing your support with your Abbeville Institute apparel. And as always, rate this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Share it around on social media. Rate our, our, share our articles on social media. Let people know you're enjoying the Institute. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Do all those things you can do to let people get the true information we provide about the Southern tradition. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. As we all know, it seems like we're under attack from about 18 different fronts at any different time on every any, any day in the United States, whether it's people attacking Robert E. Lee, the Southern tradition in general, John C. Calhoun, something. There's somebody out there attacking the South. Why? Because it's the convenient scapegoat for everything that's wrong with America. Take, for example, uh, the claim now by Obama and others that the filibuster is a relic of slavery and white supremacy and all these other things that they say. And, of course, by default, that means the South because Northerners were never racist. Northerners never did anything wrong. Northerners are the unstained group of people in America. They've never done one solitary thing wrong in all of their history. But yet, Southerners are just evil. I saw this thread uh, before I came on to this podcast. Some moron on social media was uh, listing the uh, signing ceremony for the recent legislation in Georgia that all the left is calling voter suppression, which is hilarious. But there's a picture of a plantation, the Callaway Plantation, behind Brian Kemp as he's signing it. And they went in this long thread. I mean, it has like 20 different posts. Uh, about how that shows that uh, these this is just evil. These people are just interested in reinstituting slavery in Georgia. It's, these people are so deluded. They're so delusional. They're so stupid they can't get out of their own way. 
And that's a problem because, I mean, look, we, <laughs> you've, got, you've got to be in a political union with these people. And it's, it's just embarrassing. The amount of uh, delusion is laughable if it wasn't so dangerous. Derangement. I, I called it Yankee self-righteous delusional disorder. Some people call it Trump derangement syndrome. Whatever it is, it's it's a certain it's a mental disorder where these people can't get out of their own way because they see an evil Southern boogeyman wherever you turn. I mean, this is oh my gosh, look at this! It's because of this that we have all these problems. If the, if the South wasn't here, we wouldn't have had any racism in America. Well, except that the North <laughs> was perhaps even more racist than the South. And I mean, this is this is easily documented, right? Easily documented. And we do it all the time. And it's not to, I mean, look, this is just the way it is. History is there to understand, to try to understand what these people were thinking at the time. We know that today is different, but you can't always make a weapon out of history, and that's what these people are trying to do. It's embarrassing in reality. It's really embarrassing. It's embarrassing for them. It's, it should be pitied uh, more than anything else. But because they vote and uh, because uh, they have such influence in the media and other places, it necessitates the Institute to try to push back against some of this stuff. And we start this week with a video that a lot of you help fundraise for, or help fund, I should say. We fundraise and you help fund it. It's this video by Phil Lee uh, entitled, Robert E. Lee and Woke General Please Like Me. And that's Ty Sedgley from now at Hamilton College. He was at West Point. He retired from West Point. Now he's teaching at Hamilton College. Brigadier General Ty Sedgley, Ph.D. from Ohio State. And if you go to look at his social media feed, it's one of the most embarrassing things you'd ever see. This is a guy that just shows you what PragerU actually is. This is why we're creating these videos. PragerU hired Ty Sedgley to do their video on the war. And, of course, it was all about slavery. This is a guy that retweets critical race theory information. He retweets uh, this stuff. This is where I saw this thread from this idiot in Georgia. This is the stuff that he retweets. These are the things that he thinks. He wrote or co-wrote the West Point study or West Point guide to gender and warfare. He is a critical race woke theorist. I mean, this is what he is. And yet, People are reading this book, Robert E. Lee and Me, and thinking it's some kind of definitive statement on Southern history. The notes in it are laughable. Laughable. He barely uses any primary material. In fact, most of the book is simply a, an expression of what he thinks and his opinion. There's hardly any evidence in it at all. It's a long op-ed polemic. It, it really is nothing more than that. Some of the things he said, he called Elizabeth uh, Pryor who wrote her book, Misreading the Man, the best biographer of Robert E. Lee ever. Now, in my own podcast, I talked about Pryor in a, an essay I wrote years ago, about three years ago, uh, on Lee, entitled uh, Lee versus Twitter Historians. And you could put Sedgley in that Twitter historian group. He doesn't call himself that. He doesn't He doesn't work in their circles. Um, these are some, some other idiots that do things. But... Certainly, he's in that group, and I took apart Pryor's book because when people read it, they don't actually go and look at the notes. This is the sad thing. They don't actually go out and look at the evidence. If they looked at the evidence, Elizabeth Pryor's book would be laughed, laughed out of 
the historical profession because it's shoddy. Now, she had this treasure trove of letters and other things that she was given by the Lee family. And some of the book, uh, I'll say this, she, she was a good writer, and some of the book is interesting. I did a whole, uh, uh, for the Abbeville Institute years ago, I reviewed the book in video form before I had good video equipment or audio equipment, but it's still there. You can go see it. Uh, it's on, uh, I believe it's on my channel, if you go out and look for Brian McClanahan, and I also made it into a podcast at one point. But it's a, it, it's a, it's a terrible book. Uh, because she makes she draws conclusions that you really can't draw from the material, and it gets into psychoanalyzing Lee and all kinds of other things. Lee wasn't really that great, is the whole point of the, of the book. But her evidence at times and her conclusions that she draws, there's no support for it. And she even admits it at points. Well, I really don't have much evidence here, but I think this happened. She was a nasty woman. I've had people tell me that uh, when they... She would berate people that supported Lee. You don't know the man, really. You don't know him. In fact, I think she was, she was killed in a car accident, I want to say on the day that Lincoln was assassinated, the anniversary of Lincoln's assassination. I think that's what happened um, in April. It was several years ago. But um, anyways, so Sedgley calls her the greatest Lee historian. Forget about Douglas Southall Freeman. I mean, the guy that just <laughs> spent most of his career writing about Lee. And, of course, historians will criticize Freeman. Oh, he's just too biased for Lee. But when you re actually read Freeman, which I think a lot of people have not read Freeman, they just, oh, Freeman used to salute Lee, so he's going to give you this very biased account. He covers everything that, that Brown covers, and he does it in a very even-handed way. He might side with Lee because there's really no other way to do it at times. Right? I mean, this is the problem. He gave you the evidence. There was no new evidence of any of these things. And so he wrote the definitive biography. You have to get Southall Freeman's, Douglas Southall Freeman's work on Lee if you're going to know anything about the man. That's the important part to understand. And it's, it's a masterpiece, right? And Lee's Lieutenants, which he also wrote, another masterpiece. Uh, so this video by Phil Lee is, is really good. So you help pay for it. We put it out there. We will be asking at times to help fund projects that we do. And I think it does a very good job of pushing back against Sedgley's nonsense. Unfortunately, it hasn't gotten as many views as we would like. So if you watch it, it's on, it's on our YouTube channel. Share it around. Let people know you're watching it. Get people interested in this video. The main point of this, of course, is Sedgley has gone on the attack against Washington and Lee, and the students held a walkout. Look, this is so stupid. If students didn't like the name, why did you attend that institution? Go somewhere else. I mean, I, I don't get it. They had they had this one young man on there, and he's saying, well, I'm trying to change some minds and to keep the name. I don't think it's going to happen. Because you have a bunch of idiots running around saying, we got to change. You decided to go to the school. Go somewhere else. There's plenty of other universities in the, in the United States that you could have attended. Leave things alone. This is the the do-gooderism of these morons that run around to these schools and other things. Well, I'm going to go there just to try to change the name. Why can't you leave things alone? Just leave it alone. Uh, and, and that happens all the time. I mean, this is something we're facing on a regular basis across the South. If you look at where Confederate statues have been under the attack the most, it's in Virginia and North Carolina. Why? Because you've got more Yankees moving into those areas than anywhere else. 
Virginia isn't even really Virginia anymore. Northern Virginia is not Virginia at all. And parts of North Carolina have become complete Yankeedom. You've got it going on now in the coastal areas of South Carolina. You see it in parts of Alabama, in the northern part of the state where many Yankees move into Huntsville. You've got it going on across the United States, across the South, I should say, people moving into these areas. Florida, parts of Florida aren't really the South anymore. What's amazing about that is, you know, Ponce de Leon still has statues up in Florida, uh, in in southern Florida. And Ponce de Leon was a more brutal slaveholder than anybody in the history of the United States, I don't care where you are, and we've got some pretty bad ones in the United, in the South and in the North. We got some bad ones, but De Leon was worse, and yet his statue still proudly sits in Florida. Nobody's worried about that one. It's because he's not a Confederate, right? I mean, this is the issue. He's not John C. Calhoun. Uh, had no contribution to the United States except naming Florida the land of flowers. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. John C. Calhoun, one of the greatest statesmen America's ever produced, has to come down because of his statements and speeches on slavery in the eight, from the 1830s to, the 18, to about 1850 when he died. It's embarrassingly bad. This is embarrassing that Americans are this historically ignorant. But it's where we are, and of course, Sedgley's book is going to continue to contribute to that nonsense. Uh, because he doesn't, and, and I listened to a, to a talk that he gave, and he said this, in my opinion, in my opinion, in my opinion, well, your opinion is based on nothing, and we all know what they say about opinions. It's based on no evidence. So it's circumstantial at best, but this is where we are with Sedgley. So we got this great video that Phil Lee did. Go out and watch it. It's on our YouTube channel. You can also go to, of course, our webpage and click on the article, Robert E. Lee and Woke General, please like me. And I think that's the, co- the key to Sedgley. He wants to be liked by the left. He got a little taste of fame with his PragerU video. Nobody had ever heard of this Nimrod when he made that video. He had not really published anything substantial about anything except at West Point. And so they're starting to look around. Well, where can we find a guy that could, oh, yeah, we'll go to West Point. We'll get the uh, general to, there, uh, the colonel, I think, at that time. He was a colonel. He wasn't promoted to general yet. The funny thing is, of course, he's brigadier general. I think I'd rather listen to general of the army Dwight Eisenhower about Lee than brigadier general Ty Sedgley, whose who's, uh, military career pales in comparison to the great Eisenhower. Eisenhower loved Lee, considered him one of the most, one of the four most important Americans, along with Lincoln, Franklin, and Washington. It was Robert E. Lee next. I mean, I think Eisenhower knew a little bit about character and uh, and uh, the military arts, maybe a little more than than the idiot Ty Sedgley. But I digress. I mean, or you know, Franklin Roosevelt. I mean, if you're going to pick a leftist, well, Franklin Roosevelt really admired Robert E. Lee. Lee thought he was a great American, great Christian gentleman. And there's examples across the board of this stuff. It's only recently that a bunch of malcontents have started to want to take these things down, which is why we're trying to produce videos. There's going to be more. Uh, Philly has actually given us a couple of more that he's done. And so we'll have more of those on the website. And we've got uh, a couple of other professors who have not done anything with the Institute before, but they're Washington Lee alum, and they produced a little video defending Lee, uh, and they're trying to get the word out to the Board of Trustees 
to ensure that the name doesn't change. That's the whole point in all this, to ensure that Washington and Lee remains Washington and Lee, no matter what a bunch of malcontented little whiny students have to say about it. Or the faculty who, if they don't like it, why they start working there. I mean, this is the thing. You, you, when you work somewhere, you know, you, you're a part of that culture. And so uh, it's amazing to me how some of that's how they get away with some of these things. But regardless... Uh, so we had that great video. Some other good pieces this week, too. Uh, the book review this week, or at least the, the, a couple of books, it's uh, Secession's Magic Numbers, uh, Part 2. And it has to do with some books that have been written on secession. Now, Donald Livingston, of course, the founder of the Institute, has long been interested in the issue of secession. And so is Kirkpatrick Sale, who was a friend of the Institute, founded the Middle, Middlebury Institute. Thomas Naylor, who's now dead uh, with the Second Vermont Republic, was a friend of the Institute. We have people that are interested in this idea of size and scale of states and size and scale of republics. And how do all these things work? It's a great philosophical question. In fact, one of Livingston's best things he's ever done is talk about Hume. Of course, he's the one of the foremost Hume scholars in the world, but talk about Hume's ideal republic. He gave a great talk about that at one of our conferences. And if you, I'll say this, this gives me a nice, effort, a nice opportunity to talk about our next summer school, which is going to be in July, um, July 2021, Seabrook Island, South Carolina. We've got information on that on the website. I forgot to mention that at the top of the show, but it takes, takes place between July 18th and July 23rd. Seabrook Island, South Carolina. If you know someone that wants to be a student there, we have scholarships available. Uh, so it's a great opportunity to go and hear some very good lectures. The topic is uh, the Southern tradition in the age of wokeness, right? And so how do we deal with wokeness with the Southern? What can the Southern tradition still offer when you've got all this stuff like Sedgley and all these other people, you know, wash, tear down Washington Lee, tear down Calhoun, tear down uh, Confederate monuments, tear down the South, tear down anything with the South. How do you do this stuff? How, what is the Southern tradition offering? You've got Gracie Olmstead, who's uh, wrote some pretty interesting stuff, but having a mea culpa over actually saying good things about the Southern agrarians because, my gosh, at one point they said some racist things. I mean, this is where we are. How You're going to have to pick people from 1975 forward to find people that didn't say any racist things. This is embarrassing. It's embarrassing, really, where people are in America. But... I digress. We've got a very good essay by Terry Halsey on a couple of interesting books on secession. Uh, and these are books you should pick up. Uh, the first is Around a Cragged Hill, which is a personal and political philosophy by George F. Kennan, who is uh, one of the most important American diplomats of all time. And Kennan was certainly in favor of breaking up the United States. He thought it needed to happen. And then The Nine Nations of North America by Joel uh, Garreau, which wasn't very scholarly, and, and uh, Halsey points that out. But it's interesting because you have this discussion of secession. And uh, probably the most interesting book um, that the Institute has produced, it's, it's one, of our, one of our books that the Institute uh, produced several years ago. I think 2010 it came out, so about a decade ago. But uh, Rethinking the Union for the 21st Century. It was a collection of essays that came out of a conference we held in 2010 in Charleston, South Carolina, about secession. And uh, we had some really great speakers there. 
And it was important because, and you can, we've got very poor audio quality of that conference uh, for the website, but we do have this book that came out of it. It's unfortunate that we didn't get very good uh, uh, audio recordings of the lectures. It was an awesome conference. And um, that was a few years before I really became involved with the Institute, about, about four years before that. We're going on April now. What's, in, what's amazing to me is April of this year. We've I, I've we've been ex, we've expanded our website and doing things for about seven years. It's been a really interesting seven years. We've grown a lot in seven years, um, and so we'll I'll talk about that more when we get to April. But uh, we had that conference, and it produced a discussion of secession and decentralization, and I mean. Look, political decentralization might be the key to the 21st century, or it could be centralization. I mean, we could go the other way. We're seeing that now. I mean, we're, we're having discussions about elections. Look, when you talk about elections, uh, and you look at what's happening in Georgia, you look at the Congress and passing H.R. 1, which probably will die in the Senate, but when you look at what's happening with elections, this is an issue of federal versus or I should say national versus state power. And where do we go from here? How, I mean, where do we go in American elections? This is an issue of federalism. It's an issue of decentralization. We're talking about adding states to the union, whether it's D.C. or Puerto Rico. And why would they want to do that? Well, of course, it's because each state gets two senators, and then you can nationalize more things by adding more states. It's the same thing that was going on in the 18. 50s, 40s, 30s. There's nothing different. Nothing different. It's all about power, as it was back then. But have we gotten to a, to a point in America where everything's too big? And we have a good video on our YouTube channel, Is America Too Big? It was supposed to be a multi-part series. We only did the first. Uh, the footage is still out there. I wish we would get that done. We, we've had some discussions about doing it. But is America too big? And rethinking that idea for the modern age. So where do we go from here? I mean, this is the question that John Morcourt asked in his piece on Wednesday. Where do we go from here? Dixie, where, where do we go? The South hasn't really had a political party in years. We've been tied into the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. When... Uh, the flip occurred, supposedly, in the 1960s. The South was essentially left behind. Once Goldwater was gone, the Republican Party will rhetorically talk about the South and encourage Southerners to vote for them. But do they actually do anything that's in line with the South? I mean, you've got Republican congressmen voting to change the names of Confederate of military installations named after Confederate leaders. That's the Republican Party doing that. You've got Republicans behind tearing down Confederate statues. And I've said this before. I mean, it's amazing. You've got people like Victor Davis Hanson who now, oh, no, no, we don't need to take down Confederate monuments. This is the same guy that for years never found a Confederate monument he didn't want taken down. They've incited the mob in part, now the left is doing most of it, but these cons- quote-unquote conservatives have also incited the mob to action. 
We don't, the South really doesn't have any friends anymore, politically. It doesn't have any. So Jack is asking the question, I mean, where do you go from here? How do we, how do we move forward? How does the South even have a voice any longer? And particularly when something like, you know, happens in Georgia, they sign a bill. Well, I mean, it's all about race. It's not. It's not at all. But yet it's going to be portrayed that way. It's going to be portrayed that way because that's how the left makes inroads. Well, you use, you slam people with that word, and that gets people to turn against you. Even if you're not. And of course, I would say there's nothing behind, there's no racial motivation behind this. Nothing that we do at the Institute is racially motivated at all. We're simply talking about the Southern tradition and how that Jeffersonian tradition still fits with America. And we don't want to see that tradition torn down. And it is expressed, this idea of decentralization was expressed by the Confederacy. The Confederacy had problems. All governments have problems. We had our, our Zoom conference with Marshall DeRosa on the Confederate Constitution. He talked about that. He said, look, the Confederacy would have abused power too. It tried to have more checks on it, but eventually it would have happened because that's what happens in governments. They abuse power. And all this wrangling over who was less bigoted than the other, it's, it's counterproductive. It's stupid. What's really important is the contributions that the South made to Western civilization and society. That's why we exist at the Institute. And there has to be some expression of that out there. The Southern critique of modern America is valid. Big banks, the fusion of big banks and big government, the fusion of big business and big government. The principles of decentralization, which, by the way, the North advocated for a long time. He says the South continued that longer. The idea that to be free, you have to leave sometimes. It's not treason. No treason there. That was understood. The entire point of the ratification process of the Constitution was to prevent the disillusion of the United States because they fully understood that states could leave this thing if they wanted to. And Northerners pushed secession first, understanding that it was entirely possible and legal. And yet, somehow, when the South does it in 1861, it is now treason. And so these men are called traitors, committed treason, of course, never tried for such act. We know that there were Confederates who were brought up on charges of treason. In states, nothing ever went anywhere with it. Because they couldn't. So all of these arguments against Lee and against the South and all these things, I mean, it just goes back to the fact that the South really doesn't have any representation. Can you imagine? We did the speech last week by Henry Cabot Lodge. Can you imagine a congressman today standing up on the floor of the Senate and making a laudatory speech about John C. Calhoun? I don't care if they're from the North or the South. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it at all because no one would have the same kind of backbone as Henry Cabot Lodge. And, of course, at that time, Calhoun was considered a great man. Lodge says he thought he was flawed, but he was a great man, and he was a quintessentially American. He wasn't some Nazi. This is also a poor argument. Southerners are Nazis. It's nothing. Look, Southerners fought against Nazis in large numbers in World War II. Descendants of Confederates fought against Nazis. These people weren't Nazis. Weren't Nazis at all. Ridiculous. The real fascists in America are the woke censors who want to try to eliminate anything that might make them feel uncomfortable or that they don't like what it says from American society. Those are the fascists. 
And they're predominantly on the left. So we had some, I thought that piece by Jack was really good. We also had a piece this week on uh, Southern Reflections on Being Neighborly. And I think it's a nice thing to point out. One of the things, of course, the South offers, and the Southern tradition offers, is manners. Manners. When you look at what's happening, the conflicts that are taking place in American society today, one of them, of course, is male, I mean, this, this tension between male and female. And uh, this concept of chivalry, is it dead? Do we have it? And I think that's really important because the South offered a way to respect women. And, well, I mean, but they would put them down. What is lost in modern society? And there are Southerners, of course, who buck that trend. Uh and uh, very, very prominent women in the South who, who are well-respected, who bucked that trend. But, and I, one of my favorites, of course, is Augusta Jane Evans Wilson, who's St. Elmo is just so good. I mean, it's hard to get through, but how she portrays this battle of the sexes back in 1866 is just really good to read. And there were others, I mean, uh, w- without question. But how do we, what is wrong in American society? And, and part of the problem is that, you know, women are not respected. Why? Because we've lost a Southern tradition in that way. The rules were there for a reason, because it allowed for mutual respect between male and female, females in America and Western society. But that's what the rules were there for, respect. Recognizing that men and women are different. They have different, biologically they're different, but of course, um, also recognizing that they have different views on things, different things they like and don't like. and But recognizing that, that there's a difference between men and women, and that chivalry was there to preserve and respect those differences. That was an important part of Southern manner. And so what's being lost, you know, when you say, well, there's no chivalry. Men don't open the door for women. They don't show women respect. They're not gallant anymore. Well, that's because Southern life has been erased. Women still like these things. They still like these things a lot. But men, because of how things have been torn down in society, a lot of times don't think they need to show that any longer. And that's a real problem. So this is an important part of the Southern tradition, also being neighborly. Knowing who the people are around you, whether you like them or not, knowing and showing them respect. That's important. Now, calling someone out for being stupid when they say stupid things is not showing them respect. I mean, they said something stupid. But showing them respect in other ways is important. Uh, And I think that's something, again, that's lost in modern society respect for other people. And so this little piece that was produced on being neighborly is just very good. Uh, It's by Tom uh, Hervey. Nice little piece on Friday. And then, of course, Karen Stokes' piece on Thursday, Our Other Man in Charleston. Another kind of a a book review, but giving you a different perspective. There was a a book produced, Our Man in Charleston, in 2016, which was very nasty about the South. And so she brings up there was another British agent in Charleston that said the exact opposite things. And we should read that book that man's notes too, because it gets lost in all the material. So a lot of good stuff this week as normal. 
And I appreciate you spending your time with me once a week and doing these podcasts. If you don't get my my podcast, Brian McClanahan Show, go to brianmcclanahan.com. You can pick that up there too, where I talk about other things besides the Southern tradition. Sometimes I get to the Southern stuff, but I do other things there. We do appreciate your support. We appreciate you tuning in for this podcast once a week. Until next time, good day. Mm-hmm.